him again for this task, for this moment, and speak through him the words that you've helped him prepare. Help us to hear what you have to say to us today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want God to help you. I want this to be a place where people come on Sundays, they, they get prayed for, they, they get blessed, and then God's breakthrough comes to their lives, it comes to your lives, however it's needed. So I'm going to, again, bless you and, and pray for you. Uh, I bless you in the name of Jesus, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully. I, I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive the guidance from God that you need, the help from God that you need. I bless you to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges you're facing right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love and peace, whatever's going on, that you would feel those things in abundance. I bless you with that in Jesus' name. May it be. Amen. All right, family, welcome back to our series where we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about what it is to believe in Jesus and what it is to follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about kindness. Jesus' kindness and our call to kindness. Today we're talking about fruitfulness. And we're going to be talking about a parable in Matthew, nope, not at all, and Luke chapter 19. And we're going to be looking at this parable that Jesus tells while he's in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. One of the things that we uh, see in Jesus' ministry that so much of his teaching and word choices and um, uh, emphasis... Uh, are connected to where he's at. He brings out different things based on his location. So I thought before I dove into this parable, I would just show us again where Jericho is and just give us a quick little introduction to this city. Jericho is in the red box. If you don't have a red box and you just have this, this is Google Earth, if you just have like a Google Earth uh, zoom back, it's the green blotch just above the sea of, uh, the Dead Sea there. It's an oasis. There's water. There's not a lot of water in that area, but there is a Jericho. Uh, it's just, it's just, um, just to the east of Jerusalem there, kind of east, just above the Dead Sea. The little tiny lake at the top there, we call it the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's a lake. And then Egypt is down to the bottom left there. That's, that's where we're at, Jericho. Here's an aerial photo of the area. Um, so you have the Dead Sea there in the background. Ominous. Hovering <laughs> over. Uh, the, the Jordan River, you can see labeled back there where uh, Jesus was baptized in that sort of area. Then in the front, you've got Tel Jericho. Tel means hill. And so you've got this hill, and that's Old Testament Jericho. Old Testament Jericho is on the hill there. New Testament Jericho shifted a little bit to the south where it says Herod's Palace. Or palaces, there was three. Herod's Palaces. Uh, that's where New... Why did it shift from... Old Testament Jericho down south a little bit. Old Testament Jericho was built for defensive purposes on a hill. Uh, New Testament Jericho shifted to the road for taxation purposes. So it was, it was a money shift where, where the money is. So that's, that's the reason where that shift is. So we're down by the palaces in that area. Here's a picture of the ruins, or four pictures of that area of the ruins of those palaces. Um, but you can... This is the area where things are taking place, this, this palace's area of, of Jericho. 
So um, in Jesus' day, as he tells this parable, you can picture him maybe around the palaces. You can picture him like just in Jericho, walking on the road towards Jerusalem, where he's about to be crucified. And it's in this context he tells this parable. But one, one of the things you would want to know about Jericho is Jericho is very much tied into a ruler. Uh, one of the former rulers, a guy by the name of Archelaus. Now, Archelaus is Herod the Great's son. Who is Herod the Great? Herod's the Christmas Herod. Uh, the evil Christmas villain Herod, Herod the Great. So he dies just after Jesus is born. And, uh, and then his son Archelaus wants to be king. His father was king, and so he wants to be king. And so he goes to, he has to leave the country. He has to go away to Rome because um, it's, it's in Rome where you get that appointment. So he goes to Rome, but the people of Israel did not want him to become king. And so they sent a delegation of 50 people after him to protest in Rome. And so then uh, Josephus writes that 8,000 others um, who were already there in Rome joined in this great protest against Archelaus being named king. And they kind of win. They kind of win, sort of. So Archelaus is given the leadership of the land, but he's not given the title king. That burned him. He's like ethnarch. Or something. He's giving the title ethnarch, but he's the leader, but he's not, not given the title king. And so he gets, he's mad. And he returns. And he, on, on that Passover, the first Passover, um, when he returns, he rounds up 3,000 people and has them executed because they protested him becoming king. Now, how does that connect with Jericho? Well, Jericho is his special city. Uh, he rebuilt the palaces there when Jesus is growing up, kind of age, I don't know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eleven, something like that. He rebuilt the palaces there and made them really special. And he spent more of his time here than anywhere else. He invested more money and resources into the development of the Jericho area, um, getting water spread out more, irrigating more fields. He, just, he's, he, he focused on Jericho. It's kind of like his place, and everyone knows it. So it's in this context, um, Jesus is, is on his way to Jerusalem, where he is also going to be executed in the, within 14 days here. He's going to rise from the dead, don't worry. It's, it's going to turn out well. And the crowds are hoping for Jesus to be crowned king, but he's going to be communicating him to him, yes, he is going to be king someday, but he's going to have to go away first. And then he'll return, and he will take his great power. And begin to reign, King of kings, Lord of lords, and all that kind of good stuff. But he wants to talk about the, what to do while he's away. What does he want from his people in the time between when he goes away and when he returns? That's where the parable is focusing at today. Again, you'll see the connections to Archelaus right away. But let me just read the parable in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Uh, it says this. As they were listening to this, he, Jesus, went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. What's a mina? It's, it's 100 days wage, about three months. Three months wage. It's not really all that important, but, but that, there we go. That's, that's there. And he gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. 
at his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. He said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth. Because I was afraid of you, since you're a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said. You evil servant, if you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you, says Jesus, that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. See the connection, right, between the Archelaus story and, and Jesus having that here in, in the context here? Uh, I, think it, I think it's interesting and fascinating. But today we're going to be talking about what Jesus is looking for in his faithful followers while he's away. What is it that he's looking for? What is he looking for in the time in between him, him um, going away and then when he finally returns king? And ultimately, we're going to be seeing that Jesus wants us to bear fruit before he returns. I think it says much fruit. Yes. Jesus wants us to bear much fruit. Much fruit before he returns. He wants us to expand. Expand his kingdom by seeing people believe in Jesus and being saved. Now, often when we think about, say, how, how, how's it going between me and Jesus? I don't know if you ever have these, these thoughts. Probably you do. How's it going between me and Jesus? And we might think, okay, how am I doing on the sin front? Am I, am I saying no to sin and, and I'm generally trying to be a good person? Maybe that's, maybe that's kind of how I would determine whether I'm following Jesus well or not. Or maybe, maybe you, you think, okay, how is my heart like, am I fired up about Jesus these days? Am I like, yeah, I, 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 my, goal is to, my goal is to be, you know, I want to read the Bible six times this week and, um, and uh, all, cover to cover and, and, and just dive in. I, I have just such a passion for worship and singing and, and, and diving into prayer and like I just have such fire for God, it's unquenchable. Maybe you're like, okay, if I'm fired up about Jesus, then, then things must be going pretty well. And, and, you know, I mean, th that's good stuff, right? I mean, yes, walking in Jesus' way in obedience and saying no to sin, that's, that's great. That's a part of it. And, and, and you know, loving God in, in such an obvious, uh, passionate way, that's a huge part of it. But a lot of times when Jesus talks about divine assessment, criteria, when, when it comes to how he's assessing how things are going, very often when he talks about himself or the Father's assessment, he's talking about bearing fruit. 
results, like bearing much fruit, fruit that will, will last. In this parable, in this parable, uh, we, we see that the, the first servant who's given 10 minus gets 10 more, and the king says to him, well done, good servant, and gives him a huge reward. God's assessing us, uh, our, our faithfulness, based on our fruitfulness. Not just this internal fruitfulness, but this ex- actually making an impact for, for Jesus, where people are giving their lives to Jesus. Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. I'm with you always. Then. Like he, he gives these commissions to, to all of us. And, and those who are about that and, and making disciples and, and seeing people give their lives to Jesus in, in, in large quantities, he's like, the king says to the one with ten, well done, good servant. Here's your reward. The one who uh, earns five more minuses, minus is such a weird word, uh, five more, five more, you know, he gets the reward, but he doesn't get the enthusiastic praise. I don't know if you noticed that because you're, you're used to hearing a different parable. It doesn't say, well done, good servant, to the five, to the one who gets five more. Only to the ten. But, but still, he gets his reward. Seven people go unmentioned. I tend to worry that that would be me. <laughs> uh, seven people go unmentioned. And then, and then the last person, he, he, he doesn't do any, he hasn't done anything with his minus. He's just held it in a cloth. He's not made an impact. He's not done anything to invest it. And he receives a major rebuke. Right? That's, that's the parable. It's kind of like the, the, the Christian who's, who's, um, who's been a Christian for a while, and they view themselves as coasting, even though the actual definition might be fruitless. You know, they're, they don't, they're like, well, I'm not sinning too much, or, or I'm not, or I'm not um, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm still showing up at, at, at church or whatever, but, but they're not bearing fruit. And, and the danger of somebody who's coasting is that they're just not doing anything. They're, they're not doing anything with what they've been given. Uh, they're not seeing anybody move forward via their life or their conversations or their, their, their invitations. We're called to be a people who bear much fruit. New Testament, all over the place. Romans. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7. He says, you belong to him who was raised from the dead, which is Jesus. In order that, for the purpose of, for this reason, so that we may bear fruit for God. That's why we belong to Jesus, to bear fruit. Colossians chapter 1 says, So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. What's the definition of fully pleasing? Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. That's, that's, ple- that's what's pleasing, living pleasing to God. In John chapter 15, there's this really famous passage teaching of Jesus, like vine branches and He prunes and he's, God's just obsessed with more fruit. More fruit. That's why he prunes and, and cuts off things. At the end of that section in, in verse 16 of John 15, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. And, and that's connected to answer prayer. That's why I answer prayers. I want fruitfulness. I want, I want fruit from your life. This idea of being chosen and forgiven uh, and, and appointed to produce fruit, to, to produce results, impact, so that the kingdom would grow and multiply via, via you and, and, your, and your, your work and your testimony. Again, there's so many parables 
about this topic and, and how God wants us not just to be morally good and, and, and love him, but it's his will for our lives. What's God's will for my life? To, prepare, to produce much fruit. That, what, what, what's God's uh, will for my life? Through my life, through my words, through my witness, people are actually responding and believing in Jesus and being saved. And, may, and maybe you're doing that by, by just inviting people. Come and see. That is, that is part of the process. Come and see. Come and see. And, and maybe over time then people are coming to believe in Jesus from you. Or, or maybe you're having conversations with people uh, about Jesus where you're just talking about Jesus and his, and, and you know, hey, I was praying and, and, I pray, and, and Jesus answered this prayer. You know, or s- something like that. Now, I find this fascinating, but there are two very similar parables in the New Testament, and Jesus speaks them about a week apart. He speaks the one in Luke, uh, in Jericho, and then the next one he's going to speak in Jerusalem when he's, when he's there, the week he's crucified. And the, the parable, the, the, one that, the other one that he's going to tell is in Matthew 25, and it's called the parable of the talents. What's a talent? It's another unit of money. It's much more than a minus, but it, that doesn't really matter. It's a different unit of money. And, and in that parable uh, of the talents, every person is given a different amount of money. One is given five, one's given two, one's given one. And what matters in that parable is what they do with what they've been given, whether it's much or little. That parable is about how we are, we are in different places. We have different gifts. We have different, oppor- different opportunities. Uh, we have different situations, contexts. That there's differences, and what matters is that we are faithful in whatever our context, and yet understanding that some people are in different places. In this parable, in Luke 19, it's about everybody is given the exact same amount. This one's about everyone starting in the same. It's not about our differences. It's, it's about, it's about where, what we all have the same. And specifically, what we all have the same whilst we wait for the return of Jesus. And what do we have the same? We have the same commission. Whether we're hugely gifted and, and brilliant and intelligent and all that kind of stuff, uh, the, or, or, or not so much. We have the same commission. Go! You know, we, we got the same, the same uh, gospel. Jesus is alive. He's real. He's alive. God raised him from the dead. You believe in him, you'll be, you'll be saved. We have this, the same message. We have the same Bible. <laughs> we got the same Bible we, that we can point to. We, we've got the same connection to God through the Holy Spirit. And, and in, some, in this parable, it's, it's not focusing on what we're different. It's like what we have the same and what are we going to do with it. Um, the Bible says, in, in, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, His, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything we need for life and for godliness. That is everything, about everything, but it also includes what we need when it comes to telling people about Jesus and being saved, the gospel, the reality there. God has given you, God has given you everything you need to effectively tell people about Jesus so that many, 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 many believe and are saved. But do you believe that about you? I, I bet that many of you would be like, not me. That's not, that's not true with me. And we get bombarded with, with fears and doubts. And we're like, wow, Jesus, he just doesn't seem to use me that way. For, for people to believe in, in him and to be saved. 
But no, that's not true. God can use everything. He can use the come and see, come and see coming out of your mouth. Just the, that simple moment of God answered this prayer or God, I prayed to God about this and, and I got the guidance and help I needed. But the enemy wants you to be silent. He wants you to be silent. If it's God's desire that you bear much fruit, it is the enemy's desire that you bear zero fruit. God wants you to have no impact in seeing people believe in Jesus and being saved. And so he's going to fill you with lots of reasons why, 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 why you shouldn't do anything, why you should just keep your mouth shut. They won't believe. You didn't see anybody give their lives to Jesus yesterday or last year or last decade. So it probably will never happen. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to judge you. They're never going to care. He's going to keep bombarding you with those thoughts. And, and, and many, people, many people in this room believe that if you were to tell people about how real you think Jesus is and, and how important Jesus is, like, they would be like suffering listening to you talk. And, and, you're, and they, they're not going to believe anything. But those kinds of thoughts, those, those are lies that have taken deep root in our generation. Deep root. And as a result of those, that kind of thinking, we, we as a generation tend to be extremely silent. One of the more silent generations when it comes to talking about Jesus. You know, we find ourselves not mentioning Jesus publicly outside of church or our Bible read-through groups more than even once a week. And it's not because you think the Bible is lame or because you think the gospel is lame. It's because you're so deeply convinced that they think the gospel is lame and that they would never believe. But we got to resist what the enemy is trying to do. we got to resist these lies. And, and we, we can do that by confessing to Jesus, Jesus, I have been silenced out of my, my, this, my, these lies that have been bombarding me that I have come to believe that I won't be able to make a difference if I open my mouth, that people won't believe if I, if I open my mouth. And I need to start uh, making declarations like in Romans chapter 1 with things like, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I've experienced that. Why do I think they won't? The de declaration of the gospel is what is needed for people to believe and be saved. I'm not ashamed of this. I'm not ashamed of this. And I just keep saying this, right? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I refuse to be ashamed of this. I will not be silent. In order to make some progress here, though, we're going to need to get past our obsession, I guess our need, our need, our obsession with instant results. A and maybe even our, our obsession with everyone has to respond. Everyone has to respond. Listen to this popular, helpful, extremely helpful parable of Jesus. It shows up in three of the Gospels. This is the version from Luke. Luke chapter 8, it says this, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Worthless. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Fruitless. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Didn't work. Still, other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced 
fruit a hundred times what was sown. And then Jesus goes on and he explains the parable and he starts by saying basically you're the sower or you're supposed to be. You're the farmer. You're, you're the one. You're the, you're the sower. And the, you've, been, you're, you've been appointed. You've been, the purpose for your life is to, to bear much fruit. To sow. To sow so you would bear much fruit. And what is the method? It's seed scatter, scattering. It's seed scattering. Lots and lots of seeds. Throwing out seeds and seeds everywhere. Throwing seeds. And, and a lot of times it's not going to stick. It's not going to stick for this reason or that reason. Or it's not going to work for this reason or that reason. But, but that's, not, that's not the problem. That's not, that we don't need to be held back by that. Our job is to just keep throwing out seeds after seeds after seeds. And, and, and that sense of calling people to come and see. Come and see. Uh, if you keep throwing these seeds far and wide, far and wide, over and over again, some will find good soil and bear a lot of fruit. Paul says something like this <clears throat> in a different context. He says... The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The one who sows generously will reap generously. Now he is using a soil fact that the farmers knew. And he's applying it to money and generosity. But just putting it back into its original context of seed sowing. Uh, yes, the one who sows generously, even if a lot of it doesn't work, will actually reap reap generously. God can easily use you to bear much fruit when it comes to seeing many, many, many people give their lives to Jesus. <clears throat> but you know, we're going to have to start throwing out a lot more seeds to, to, to bear more, more fruit. You know that the strategic conversation, that one conversation with one, if you plant five seeds a year or ten seeds a year, you're not going to have a big harvest. If, you, if, you, if you're overly strategic and you're like, I'm going to keep my mouth entirely shut except for this one conversation, even if it grows, one. You know, we're, we're the farmer, the, the, the kingdom analogy is scatter seeds so generously, reap generously. Just keep throwing, throwing it out. And, and what does that look like? It doesn't look like, okay, I'm going to get 15 people a day to pray this prayer. It, it, it's like, hey, God answered this prayer. Or hey, I'm so, I feel like I didn't know what to do, and, and Jesus, I, I prayed to Jesus, and I got this direction. It's putting Jesus in your conversations as if he's real in your life, as if you really believe that he's helped you. And they might think it's weird, but it's important for them to hear. God still leads. God still helps. God still answers prayer. God's still paying attention. God's still living and active, and that's part of your testimony, seed by seed by seed. Every time you're like, answer prayer. Jesus, is, Jesus did this. I got the help or whatever. People who have about 15 conversations a year, Jesus moments a year, they're, they're going to not bear much fruit. Hopefully they will bear some. But we're called to bear much fruit. Sowing generously, reaping generously. <clears throat> now, I, I don't know if you know this, <clears throat> I'm kind of a pastor. Now, that's, I'm not kind of a pastor, I really am. And I was at a, I was at a pastor thing before COVID. If you remember, there was a time before then. And, and they were producing, they were giving these like results from churches in Scotland that were growing and had been growing over a long period of time, cutting out some church plants because church plants 
kind of tend to grow, but ones that for a sustained period of time have been growing. And they identified two things in churches in Scotland that if these two things were there, they usually grew. And if one of the two or none of the two were there, then they wouldn't. They wouldn't grow. Very simple. The first thing that the, the growing churches, the rare growing churches, sadly rare growing churches in Scotland over a sustained period of time, the first thing that they had is they had church leaders and people in the church who obviously believed the Bible was true, who, who believed it, who were very vocal. This is real. This, this is true. Jesus is real. This is all true. This happened. Everything. Those who were very vocal about the truth of the Bible, its testimony, and Jesus, peace one. The second, the second factor in Scotland is these churches every week gave people the opportunity to pray and dedicate their lives to Jesus. Every week. Now, people didn't respond every week in most of the churches, in most any of the churches. Like, it wasn't like they did that because, you know, that it was a response every Sunday. But they, they gave it every gathering, every Sunday, that opportunity. That's it. Those two things. People were vocally believing in Jesus and talking about it. And those who, and those churches that were giving people an opportunity to respond and give their life to Jesus. It's the same with churches. That's the same with people. Th those who are vocal about how much they believe Jesus is real and, and are, are very vocal about, yeah, the Bible is true and real and Jesus is true and real. Those who are most vocal and those who are giving people the opportunity, whether they take it or not, to believe in Jesus being safe, those ones in Scotland are bearing more fruit. They're just bearing more fruit. The strategy for how you can be someone who bears much more fruit is not necessarily to pray for the evangelism, the gift of evangelism, although go for it, and may it be. May it be. But it's, it's more to sow hundreds and hundreds of seeds. It's a simple strategy. Sow seeds. Be vocal. Inviting people. Um, Crooksy said this at the Southside a few weeks ago. He said, one seed doesn't usually work. He's like, he even said that... Um, he, he won't even go to someone's house for tea with one invite, let alone dedicate his life to Jesus with, with, with one mention, right? It, 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 and yet we get one pushback. We tried it once. We, we, we tried to, and, and then the enemy says, see, no one cares. Why did you even try? You know, try again next year, maybe. And, and tries to shut it down, and it, it plays on, on these lies that we have. But seed sowing is, is constant. It's constant. I guess with this parable... We see that, okay, Jesus is real, he is returning, and his reward is with him, and he wants us to bear much fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. How do we do that? Sowing generously. Lead us to re reaping generously. So the challenge is strategy time. For the challenge here, uh, the challenge is if you were to see 20 people give, now you probably haven't seen this this last year, we'll blame COVID. <clears throat> if you were to see 20 people give their lives to Jesus through your influence this next year, in 2022, what would your strategy be? Now, this is a strategy parameter. Um, if you were to see one person, your strategy, if you were aiming for one, you would have one strategy. If you were aiming for like 300, you would have to have a different strategy. So a 20-person strategy is, is, is niche. You could, you could design things for differently, but like 
I'm just kind of putting out a challenge, a strategic challenge. If you were going to strategize for you yourself seeing and being a part of, you don't have to actually pray the prayer with them or whatever, but 20 people believe in Jesus and being saved, what would your strategy be for 2022? Design the strategy that works for your life and your situation. And go for it. That's, that's, that's the challenge for today. But let me pray for courage. Let me pray for boldness. Let me pray for, for brilliant strategies and fruitfulness for us all. God, I, I do pray those exact things. I pray that you would fill us with boldness and courage and audacity, that you would fill us with, with joy in the gospel and that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, instead, we would delight in it and cherish it and that delight would exude out of us in our conversations. I pray that you would um, make us catalytic when it comes to people hearing about Jesus and moving towards Jesus and being saved. I pray for extraordinary fruitfulness every time we, we open our mouth that people would be hearing and thinking and responding and moving towards you and ultimately finding you and being rescued and being saved. God, I just pray that uh, just for a, um, a, 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 a joy-filled courage and fruitfulness over us all. Now, for those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, and maybe you assess, okay, I haven't seen a lot of fruit in this last season. I just want you to have a quick conversation with Jesus and be like, Jesus, help me bear much more fruit. Say, help me. Give me thoughts, plans, opportunities, strategies. Let me see. Let me, fill me with courage and joy in this. And, and if you are here and, and you're, you're like, I, I wasn't listening, but I want to give my life to Jesus for the first time in my life. I want to take that opportunity today. I suggest praying something like this. God, here I am. I dedicate the entirety of my life now to following Jesus. Whether things go good for me or whether things are difficult, whether I'm rich or poor or sickly or healthy or whatever happens in my life, I commit my life to following Jesus. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. My life is dedicated to you now, Jesus.